This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I'm a registered nurse. I'm also a nurse continence advisor and a sexual health educator. I am in clinical practice. I do online consults as well. So I, I speak to, I do a lot of presentations. Also, I speak to hundreds, if not thousands of people <laughs> about these very taboo subjects, which we're going to focus on in this hour of the show. We're going to talk about bladder health and penile health and vaginal health and the sexual response cycles. And these are such taboo subjects that we don't typically talk about them in the locker room. You're not like, hey, bro, I've got some premature ejaculation. How are you doing? So those aren't your basic everyday subjects because it's embarrassing because we think everybody else has a perfect sex life, a perfect home life, a perfect job. Everything's going fantastic. They all have piles of money in the bank. Not necessarily the case. But I see a lot of guys who present to my clinical practice with the one symptom of premature ejaculation. And when I dig deeper, there's a lot more going on. Um, Or not. (laughs) Sometimes that'll stop uh, things from going on because they're so embarrassed. They uh, feel less of a man They're worried about it. They wonder if there's something wrong with them. They have no idea what to do about it. And so for definition purposes, uh, premature ejaculation occurs when a man experiences orgasm and expels his semen soon after sexual activity and with minimal penile stimulation. It's also been called early ejaculation, rapid ejaculation, rapid climax, premature climax, and and historically ejaculation. Eulatio Precox. Anyway, those are that's for the highbrow crowd out there, um, which is all of you. <laughs> uh, but this need not be uh, such a uh, shameful and embarrassing subject. But you know, unfortunately, it falls into all the other sexual health subjects that we are so embarrassed to talk about. But you know what? There are, there are causes. There's treatment available. You know, just letting somebody know is extremely helpful. Uh, and, and even talking about it with your partner because it can be, um, you know, difficult on the women. I mean, a lot of guys are just like, you know, they don't know if they have premature ejaculation too. They wonder. We know. You don't. Anyway, typical. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but this is a serious uh, condition in a way because it, it can impact your life. But it also can be a sign of what's going on in your life. So Charlie presented my to my clinical practice and he presented with premature ejaculation. And so if there's no medical reason for this, and there was no medical reason, he had actually seen his doctor and had a full workup, and I would recommend that as well. No medical reason. Uh, it likely might be related to your life or the stress that's going on in your life or the unmanaged stress that's going on in your life. And you know what? There was so much going on for Charlie. Charlie's life was a wreck. He was worried about finances. Uh, in fact, his wife was the bigger breadwinner. So that was a concern for him. It needn't be, you know, that's also tied to patriarchy and all of those uh, negative messages around uh, less than equal between men and women. Um, So you know what? Be grateful if your wife is making more money than you are, if you're in a heterosexual relationship or even in a same-sex relationship, if one is making more than the other. It doesn't mean you are less than. You can contribute in other ways. Obviously, he was thinking that he was contributing this. You know, he wanted to get this out really quickly, (laughs) contribute multiple times. But that was less than satisfying in his sex life. Uh, So he had that as an issue. He also had a concern 
that, uh, well, his job wasn't going all that well either. So not only is his wife making more money, but he's worried that he's going to lose his job. On top of that, he had the suspicion that his wife may have been having an extramarital affair, but he wasn't sure. There were some red flags there that were of concern. And you know what? Like a lot of like a lot of couples, not just this is not just limited to men, but we can take the person that we go to bed with every night for granted. We can be ungrateful. We can overlook some of their better contributions. And you know, this can actually make somebody feel neglected, make somebody feel like they're not there, make somebody feel like they don't matter. And so oftentimes when people, especially women, go to work, they're applauded for their contribution. They you know, there's a lot more men in the workplace. They may meet somebody who actually pays attention to them. Mind you, they're not meeting anybody who has to pay the mortgage with them or raise the kids or buy the food or plan the vacations or pay the bills because all of that can be stressful. I had a patient in my clinical practice who was in a sexless marriage for two years, and we'll get back to premature ejaculation, but he was in a sexless marriage for two years, and literally he went to work and a woman said to him, how are you? He felt he had felt he'd been neglected by his wife for a long time. So that was all that it took. How are you? And, um, and he ended up in bed with her and definitely ended up with premature ejaculation because he was so excited. He didn't know what to do. Um, but you know what? Timing can be everything in the bedroom. If you are climaxing sooner than you and or your partner would like, you may report a less than sexually satisfying events. And premature ejaculation can be extremely frustrating and even embarrassing, and it may hurt your relationship as well. But this is not something that you have to live with. And, you know, there's really no set time. Clinically and uh, in research, we kind of look at two minutes in terms of if you're ejaculating before two minutes, it could be a problem. Um, but it's you know, it's probably too soon if you ejaculate before you have intercourse or less than a minute after you start. So um, it's and the reason that it's a problem is because when you ejaculate, you lose your erection and then sex is over, buddy. So it, you're not really taking the time that it is worthy of to enjoy. This is such a common issue for men. In fact, 30 to 40% of men have it at some point in their lifetime. It's typically blamed on the mother uh, because when you are learning to masturbate um, at the age of six months, the mother knocks on the door. No, typically in adolescence, you know, because it's so taboo and we don't think that people masturbate, we may want to rush and get it over with, uh, you know, as we're at when we're in adolescence. And if someone knocks on the door, typically the mother, um, you know, you might rush things and, and, you know, the brain is the largest sex organ and so that can contribute to this. There are some emotional factors that can play a role in stress and that was certainly the case in Charlie's situation. Depression may also lead to premature ejaculation and then that's just a, a cycle that goes on. You're just depressed and then you premature ejaculate and then you don't get the sexual health benefits and sex is over too soon. A lot of guys have performance anxiety, whether they are with somebody for a long time or whether they are just meeting somebody. There's also guilt, which is a wasted emotion, and that can um, also impact it as well. So you often see premature ejaculation for men with erectile dysfunction. And so that's when your penis does not remain um, uh, firm enough for penetrative sex and it doesn't attain you can't attain and maintain 
an erection. So go and see your doctor if it's bothering you and your partner, and which is which was what was the case for my friend or no, he's not my friend. He's my patient. Sometimes I say my friends. Um, you know, so that would be um, you know very important because there might be a medication that you're taking that is leading to that. Uh, there are also medications that may be able to help off-label. We use antidepressants. Uh, not that I'm saying go to medications first. Uh, and, and in particular, if your doctor suggests that, um, you know, say, I want to I go see Maureen McGrath. No, just kidding. <laughs> She'll help me with my premature ejaculation. Um, 95% of men are helped by behavioral techniques like the stop and start technique where you and your partner stimulate your penis until you feel like you're going to have an orgasm. Then you stop the arousal for about 30 seconds or until the feeling passes. And then you start the stimulation again and repeat three or four times before you actually ejaculate. And so the squeeze works the same as the start and stop method. But when you feel like you're reaching orgasm, you or your partner squeezes the head of your penis until you lose your erection. This is penile training, or what I call penile training. You want to repeat this a few times before ejaculating. Some men find that if they think of something else during sex, like their mother-in-law, they can last a bit longer. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I wanted to talk to you about uh, a less-than-sexy subject. It involves your bladder Overactive bladder. Many patients of mine present with leakage of urine, an overwhelming urge. They can't make it to the bathroom on time. They've been told they have a weak bladder. This is a fallacy. You don't have a weak bladder. In fact, you actually have a strong bladder. Because oftentimes an overactive bladder, which is defined as a very common condition that affects hundreds of thousands of Canadians, it's not a disease. Rather, it's the name of a group of urinary symptoms that I just stated And the most common symptom of overactive bladder is a sudden urge to urinate or void that you can't control. And some people will leak urine when they feel the urge. And getting back to you have a strong bladder, not a weak bladder, is that oftentimes there are contractions in your bladder. That's what's happening to your bladder. You're contracting and and that's the urge you feel and you may or may not leak urine. So this is a, a common condition. It affects men and it affects women, about 16.6% of the population. So thousands of people are affected by this. Many people can throw themselves into an overactive bladder. And the way that they do that is that they do things like preventive peeing. Of course, we were all taught to uh, to go to the bathroom before you left the house, if you recall, hopping into the station wagon or the minivan where the mother would say, has everybody gone to the bathroom uh, before you leave? And that's not necessarily great advice. Every other piece of advice you've received from your mother is fantastic, except for that one. <laughs> there might be one or two other tidbits as well. However, uh, getting back to that, what you want to do is you want to have your bladder tell you when you have to go to the bathroom. Never tell your bladder. Because what happens is there are so many nerves in the bladder that every time it fills up to, say, 50 cc's and you go to the bathroom, and many people will go to the bathroom when they leave the house, they go to the bathroom when they arrive at their destination, they go to the bathroom while they're waiting for the meeting because the person is late, they go to the bathroom after the meeting. And so that's four times, theoretically, in you know maybe 60 to 90 minutes. So the normal amount of times you should void is four to six times, uh, sorry, six to eight times in a 24-hour period. So voiding every three to four hours is normal, if you will. I don't like the word normal because nobody's normal and nothing is normal, but that's expected, shall we say. 
But also, your bladder can hold about 500 cc's on average, so about 400 to 600 cc's. As you get a little older, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, your bladder capacity decreases somewhat. And it, But everybody has a functional capacity. The amount of urine they can hold in their bladder before they have to void. And so if you void too much, you decrease your functional capacity, and it's going to impact your quality of life. You may get up at night to void. You may get up at night multiple times to void. And what's going to happen? You're actually going to get tired. It can lead to depression. It can lead to less productivity the next day. It may affect your mood. Also, it's extremely embarrassing. I mean, and it's not a a subject that we discuss frequently at dinner parties. It's not like, hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm leaking urine. How are you? It's like, ew, get away from me. Also, it'll increase your laundry costs. And that's also more physical labor, especially if you're an older person and you require assistance in your home. And the best place for people to age is in their homes these days. But urinary incontinence is the number one reason for admission to long-term care facilities. So think about that. Otherwise, you could stay in your home if not for your bladder troubles. And, you know, there are a number of different bladder troubles people can have. You can also have stress urinary incontinence. We typically see that after the birth of a baby, in particular a vaginal birth, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have had a baby in order to experience leakage of urine. Many teenagers, many athletes have that. Um, And then there's another type, which is the urge or overactive bladder, which is You know, you get this sudden overwhelming urge to void and you may leak a large amount of urine. With stress urinary incontinence, you typically leak a small amount of urine. So what are some of the things that you can do to prevent overactive bladder or treat overactive bladder once you get it uh, is there's there's lots of help for leakage of urine, number one, I want to say that. And you know what? Pads are a short-term problem. It drives me crazy to see these ads on TV that pads are the answer for leakage of urine. Oh, sure, you leak a little bit, just throw a little pad on. It is less than sexy. It is undignified. And you know what? Also, it'll impact your intimate relationship because, you know, you're getting in the mood. You're (laughs) maybe thinking about getting it on. And then you're like, how am I going to hide this pad from him? (laughs) Or how am I going to hide this large diaper from her? (laughs) Anyway, uh, so pads are not the answer, but drinking enough water-based fluids so the urine is clear 90% of the time is. And water-based fluids are typically milk, herbal teas like blueberry tea. Rooibos is uh, is a diuretic type of tea. So I would stay away from green teas. A lot of people feel, oh, green tea is healthy. I'm going to drink six cups of that. Or Perrier water, bubbly drinks, will also increase the irritability of your bladder and likely has the potential to contribute to putting you into an overactive bladder. Brings me to bladder irritants. There are a number of bladder irritants. Of course, everything good is bad, but it doesn't mean you can't have any of these things. It just means be mindful of something that may irritate your bladder. Like there's a particular type of low calorie drink that affects my bladder. And so I know I can't drink that because it makes me have frequency. And so I'll be voiding more often than six to eight times in a 24 hour period. But the water, the bladder irritants are Things like apple juice, strawberries, citrus fruits, bubbly water, of course, alcohol, coffee. It's okay to have one cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, tea is a is a, not only a diuretic, it's also a bladder irritant. Chocolate, tomatoes. So a lot of people eat a lot of tomato sauce. Um, they're, um, you know, they love their tomato sauce. 
We love our tomato sauce in North America, but it can also be irritating. Cranberry and cranberry juice has been advised to a lot of people to help to prevent urinary tract infections. Well, for some people, it's too acidic for their bladder and it may irritate their bladder. So it's just if you notice something that irritates your bladder, like chocolate, darn. Um, it And some people will say to me, I actually eat chocolate every single day. Now, it may be just one contributing factor. This is never usually one thing. I did have one patient who knew that water was good, so she thought if you bought it, it would be better. So she bought peri- uh, you know, the bubbly water, and she drank eight glasses of that, and that was her only contributing factor. So remember, you know, it's important that you, that you realize that men can get this as well as women. And I want to say something as well. A lot of men after prostate surgery, and we're actually doing a lot less of that these days, we're doing some more watchful waiting, because of the significant adverse events like uh, like um, leakage of urine, which is mainly a stress urinary incontinence. But you know what? A lot of men may actually have overactive bladder. They may have had it prior to their radical prostatectomy or brachiotherapy. And so they, you, you have to really have a uh, go to a nurse continence advisor to have a proper diagnosis uh, or a urogynecologist. These are the types of specialists that can help to diagnose. Uh, pelvic floor exercises may help in one particular type, which is called urge suppression or bladder retraining. And so how you do urge suppression is you squeeze your rectal muscle, the muscle that prevents you from passing gas. You know, if you're sitting next to the prime minister and you're going to pass gas, what muscle do you squeeze? That's the one. So you um, squeeze that 10 to 15 times quickly when you get an urge and you delay going. You think about, you know, be mindful and get over that hump, that hump of urgency of this overwhelming desire to go to the bathroom. And then you realize, hey, you know, my bladder has calmed down. That's a good thing. And so it's urge suppression is really important. Be distracted as well. Uh, Make sure you drink that water-based fluids. Make sure you're not constipated because that's also a contributing factor to leakage of urine. It can irritate the bladder. Uterine fibroids can irritate the bladder as well. So there's a number of things. My main message, there is treatment for overactive bladder. Contact your closest nurse continence advisor. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. You know, I deal with a lot down under in my clinical practice. And one of those concerns that I deal with relates to female reproductive health, bladder health, vaginal health, and it is called a prolapse. It's either a uterine or vaginal prolapse. And some women can also get a rectal prolapse. So there are many types of prolapse and, and they differ according to which organ is affected. So Typically, the vagina is the inside. Just a little education here. Uh, You have the clitoral hood at the top and the clitoris. Um, The clitoral hood covers the clitoris. And then you have the vulva, the inner and and outer lips on the outside. And your vagina is actually inside. So when the the walls of the vagina become lax, the organs that they should be supporting bulge into the vagina. They may actually bulge outside of the vagina. This may create a sensation of a lump hanging down. Some people have described it as like, I thought I was having another baby. <laughs> but they feel, as I call it, an unwanted bulge um, down there. Uh, you definitely don't want this. And and so this bulges into the vagina, and it, it's uncomfortable. It can actually become extremely dry. The, the uterus is supported at the top of the, of the vagina, and when those ligaments in this wall loosen, 
the uterus bulges downward. And so this is what we call a uterine prolapse. But the other types of prolapse are the prolapse of the bladder into the front wall of the vagina, which is a cystocele. And the rectum, as I said, can go into the back of the, into the back wall, or um, it comes actually from the back wall. It's like a little bit of a hernia in a way. And then the small intestine can go into the top of the vagina, which is an enterocele. So the um, the one the bulge that goes into the rectum or from the rectum into the back wall is a rectocele. So a combination of the last two, the rectocele and the enterocele, is known as a rectoenterocele. So it's important to get these treated. In fact, it's important to prevent these in the first place. Nobody actually tells you about that you are at risk for a prolapse. And believe me, you don't want to have it. So some of the common causes of prolapse are childbirth. So that doesn't mean don't have children. That just means do your pelvic floor muscle exercises. You know, don't be moving a trampoline from, you know, one side of the yard to the other when you are pregnant. Um, There can be also loss of hormones in the urogenital tract, in the vagina, at the menopause or in perimenopause. It's just as important to moisturize your vagina as it is your face, I'm telling you. So, um, in fact, it works better on the vagina because of the uh, type of tissue that we have in the vagina versus the face. Nothing really gets absorbed (laughs) in the face. Okay, all of the... Moisturizer companies are going to call me now. Um, being overweight, I'm, I'm a little bit of a of a, a weight Nazi, if you will. But being overweight, you know, has such a negative impact on quality of life, and it can put undue pressure on your reproductive organs or your bladder, your rectum, and they can fall down. Also, chronic illnesses will create a lot of pressure inside of the abdomen, such as chronic lung disease, because you're constantly coughing, and because of the considerable. Con- considerable congestion and coughing that you have. Uh, Prolapse is less common in women who have not had babies, but it can happen because of the decrease in the estrogen receptors in the vagina. And so estrogen is the hormone regulator of the vagina. So it keeps the tissues elastic and moist. It's why our vaginas are dynamic, ladies, as dynamic as we are. Um, And so that's an important aspect of it. But if you can't take hormones, uh, estrogen, if you don't want to, even though it is low-dose localized estrogen therapy that you put into your vagina in the form of a tablet, a ring, or a cream, if you can't do that, then a personal moisturizer is great. And so there are hormone-free personal moisturizers that you can pick up at the drugstore. You can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. If you want to know uh, the ones that I would recommend, um, there's one that's a preloaded syringe. Never use anything that you have to put on your fingers and then put on your vulva because those are going to increase your risk of infection. And also it's going to increase itchiness and burning and it's not going to treat the problem. So you definitely want to use a product that has a plunger with it. It's very important. Or you can use a, uh, a suppository that is uh, vaginal suppository that is inserted into your vagina as because they come as uh, moisturizers as well. But honestly, never use anything that is just a cream in a, in a pump bottle or in a tube that you're supposed to apply with your fingers because you're not going to get to the bottom of the problem. Uh, those who suffer from uterine prolapse often report that a sensation of dragging or heaviness or pulling in the pelvis and they feel like they're sitting on a small ball. It can also be accompanied by low back ache and protrusion 
from the vaginal opening, which is what I mentioned before, that it actually can come all the way out. It may impact your sex life. It may lead to painful sex. Oftentimes, the organ is dry and the tissues surrounding it are dry. A lax bladder support leads to a reservoir effect. So the, uh, in other words, a woman may feel like she has not emptied her bladder or she doesn't empty her bladder fully when she voids. And so before you come in to see a nurse continence advisor, somebody to fit you with a pessary, if you so choose, um, what you want to do is actually do double voiding. And so void once and then get up, walk around 10 or 15 minutes later, go back, sit down and void again. Because when you don't empty your bladder, you are, are you are at risk for urinary tract infections because the remaining urine can irritate the bladder and it can lead to spasms as well. It can cause urgency. And sometimes it just sits there and it doesn't actually get released. And that's why you are at increased risk of um, of a urinary tract infection. But it can also lead to leakage of urine. Um, and because the lowering of the neck of the bladder with prolapse can result in stress urinary incontinence. And, and so the urine leaks into the urethra in response to any sudden pressure, which is like coughing or jumping or running or anything like that. So I treat a lot of patients who have a prolapse with a device called a pessary. First of all, I actually get them to moisturize their vagina. You know, a few weeks prior to my fitting the, them with a pessary. And the pessary is a small medical grade silicon device that's inserted into the vagina and it stays there and it puts your organs back in place. This is an art, not a science. So according to the literature, it takes about uh, two to three attempts to get an 80% effectiveness rate. Because I have fit so many, I actually have a, a higher success rate. And because I'm persistent, I don't give up, uh, it, it can even be higher. And so sometimes I'll actually put two pessaries in into a patient because that is what's going to work. And there's nothing more satisfying than stopping somebody from leaking urine and, and helping them to return their bladder health back to normal, something that they can live with. Now, some women may be happy with the pessary and they can actually, they might just use it when they're running or jogging or jumping on the trampoline or going to a meeting or, you know, speaking or whatever, just to ensure that they don't leak urine or that they're more comfortable. Uh, pessary should be painless and it should not fall out. So I, I do the whole testing thing in my office to make sure that people can void and that it's not uncomfortable and you're, it's important that your vagina is moisturized uh, prior to so that the fitting can be perfect. Um, and many women, I will teach them how to take it out, clean it themselves, and reinsert it once it has, they have been fitted with this. And, um, but other women will have to come and see me every three months or have their doctor um, service it every three months. And you want to have an inspection of the vaginal tissues at the time. And also if there's any foul scent. But you know what? The vagina is a self-cleaning oven. And you don't need to douche. You don't need to do anything like that. You don't need to clean it, wash it. All you need to do is moisturize it and, again, ensure that it's something that has a plunger with it. Stay away from anything that requires you to put it on your hands and, and put it on your vulva. It's not going to work. It's got to go inside to help to moisturize those tissues and help them to be elastic. So that's a critical piece. I hear a lot of women, they come back and they tell me that they've tried this or they tried that, you know, and they put it on their hand. They have urinary tract infections. They have because the urethra is so small because their estrogen receptors have decreased and so they don't ward off the infection as they should. Um, 
And so it just can lead to a whole host of problems. But there are sterile, there are products that are sterile. They have a plunger, um, you know, individual ones, and you insert that into your vagina and then you toss it out. Now, there's also surgery. So these can be surgically repaired. But you know what? Maybe your wait list is three, four, five months. And so this small device, this pessary, P-E-S-S-A-R-Y, look it up, um, can actually tide you over until you have surgery. And they're not expensive at all. They cost about $100. So if you have a prolapse, it's important to speak to your doctor about that. Have them take a look at your vagina. Do an exam. These are graded. There are different um, variations of them. So it's important to you get treated, have better quality of life. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, and sexual health educator, helping you with your sexless marriages. I did, and more. I I get a lot of emails from you. I get a lot of messages on LinkedIn. I get a lot of stories sent to me um, indicating that you are in a sexless marriage. I can tell when you're in a sexless marriage, whether you've told me or not. It depends how you reach out. Nonetheless, I, um, I wanted to read an email to you that might resonate with a lot of you out there. Uh, Maureen, I saw your presentation on TEDx. Outstanding job. Please keep reading. I just want to say, uh, if I haven't said it before, a little relentless self-promotion here. Uh, my TEDx talk called The No Sex Marriage, Masturbation, Cheating, Loneliness, and Shame has had about 14.6257. <laughs> Kidding, who's counting? Who's checking it every day? million views. So I think it resonated with a few people. You might go to YouTube and have a view of it. I review a lot of the work that I have done over the years and that I continue to do. So my intent was it to be educational and not to bore you to death. Um, But also, if you're going to do a TEDx talk, I uh, suggest you use the term masturbation in your title. Just saying, okay, if you want to get 14 million views. I don't care if yours is about finances or or kitchen sinks or plungers. (laughs) I am telling you. Use masturbation. Um, It'll draw a crowd. Okay, so I carry on with this email because I have just digressed once again. In your presentation, you have defined our marriage as a sexless marriage as we go months with no sex. I must initiate and therefore be the only one to experience rejection. And my wife, who I truly love dearly, answers, not tonight, honey. Not always this way. As you pointed out in your talk, when she wanted to get pregnant, we'd have sex all the time in any part of the house. Further, when she went back to work after child number two, she worked at a lingerie store. It was actually the best six months of our marriage, and we had sex once a week. If you can believe that that is the best time of sex in our marriage. Her head was in the game, I have to say, at that time. She gave herself permission to wear lingerie that she will never wear now. In the early years of our marriage, she came to bed ready, willing, and able to get it on. That's no longer the case. We have discussed this, or rather I have discussed this, with her for the last 20 years, and I am in counseling to resist having an affair. Not that I'd exactly know where to start at this point, I will admit to joining a dating site recently, but the guilt overcame me and I kicked it to the curb. Do you see nothing but disaster if I should tell her I am so tied up with this, I actually did join a dating site? Or might it have the opposite effect as well, making things worse than they are? Too bad you're where you are because I would like to make an appointment with you. I don't want couples therapy. 
I want sex therapy. My wife actually did try therapy once. All she and the therapist talked about was baking. Okay, that's the wrong therapist. I don't bake. (laughs) It's hot, but I don't bake. (laughs) Anyway, when I get so angry, back to the email, when I get so angry because it has been six months plus with no activity, I cannot speak to her. Guess what? She makes me brownies. I don't want her stinking brownies. I want her with her head in the game, in the bedroom, shower, living room, or on our deck. When we do infrequently have sex, I hear her yawning. This makes me crazy, and I usually stop right there, near admonishing her if she didn't want sex. I'd rather a straight no than the embarrassment of have her yawn while I'm doing my thing, which is different than us doing our thing. To be blunt, it is most of the time like having sex with a dead person. I know that sounds awful, but it is accurate. Her hips just lock up in nothing but missionary. Yikes. I have become a roommate that shares resources, not a husband, and I am not saying I do not carry some baggage myself. I have plenty of faults and have discussed them with her over and over, thinking she would understand. I know I'm not perfect. I guess that train left the station a long time ago. I'm really hoping you find the time to read this. And I would love to find your twin in my area. Well, the good news there, my friend Robert, is that I do online counseling um, for many patients or people around the globe who are in sexless marriages. I'm going to say that is the number one reason that I do online consults is for the sexless marriage. So just stepping back a little bit in your uh, email, some of the things that were poignant or important were uh, your wife at one point gave herself permission to wear lingerie and enjoy sex. But she doesn't now. Does she have body image issues? A lot of years have passed. Some people don't pay attention to their weight. They don't feel good about themselves. It's difficult to adhere to a a dietary plan that is healthy and that will help you to lose weight. Um, You know, going to a, a therapist and talking about baking, okay, that's not on. That is not good. It is a good idea to, you know, really I focus on the sex in my clinical practice. And oftentimes I do hear this. A lot of women, they just go round and round and round and round and all the reasons that they're not going to have sex and and they need emotional. I mean, come on, after 20 years, you need emotional (laughs) with the guy? If he hasn't given it to you then and you don't really need emotional, what is that about? Women actually have sexual desire or not, but it does need to be cultivated. You actually have to get your head in the game, get into the game, get off the phone, uh, turn the television off, not bring your computer into bed with you. Uh, take time, make time, schedule sex. It is extremely important. I cannot tell you just how important it is in a relationship. This guy is going on to a dating site. By the way, I do not advise that you tell her that you've gone on to a dating site, but I might say to her, I'm curious, would you be okay if I stepped out of the relationship for a little while just to meet my sexual needs? Ask the question. I ask the question all the time in my clinical practice, and most women's answer is I would kill him if he had an affair, but ladies, you've got to understand that it's unfair to withhold sex from your partner in any relationship, same-sex relationship or het- or heterosexual relationship. It is completely unfair. And gentlemen, the same thing. It is completely unfair for you to withhold sex from your female partner because that happens as well. It's unfair to impose fidelity on a person who is deprived of sex from their spouse because when you have a spouse, the expectation is that you will have sex with that spouse over the long term. And you know what? Yeah, life is long. And maybe it's time to change the conversation and say, you know what? This marriage thing just isn't working. And, you know, we hid that for a long time. And and maybe we took some pills to deal with it or drank to deal with it or, you know, uh, were pressured into marrying somebody that we didn't care for, didn't love and weren't sexually attracted to. 
So my last thing that I'd like to say is love life, engage in it, give it all you've got, love it with a passion, because life truly does give back many times over what you put into it. And that is a quote from the, the amazing Maya Angelou, poet, singer, and activist. It's been wonderful to have you here with me on the program tonight. Remember, you can visit my website, backtothebedroom.ca. For those who have turned their back on the bedroom, those who want to get back in the bedroom, and those who want to have more fun in the bedroom, follow me on Twitter, at back the number two, the bedroom. And when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. And you know what? Just do it. I'm Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app. Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.